Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Good day and welcome to the New Books in Music podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lee Nash. Today I'm joined by writer and author Nick Soulsby. Nick's most recent book, Sacrifice and Transcendence, The Oral History of Swans, was published last year by Jawbone Press and is a collection of extensive and revealing interviews regarding the US experimental rock band Swans. Nick talks to key players in the band's history traces their evolution from noise rock provocateurs in New York's 1980s underground music scene to one of the most intense and must-see live bands in recent times. It's my pleasure to introduce Nick Soulsby to the podcast. Hello, Nick. Good evening. How's it going there, Steve? Uh, Very well, thank you. How about yourself? Uh, Cheerful. Always nice to talk about books on a Sunday night. Before we talk about uh, your book, firstly, tell us a little bit about yourself and your past work. Yeah, it's been a well an interesting journey for me. I mean, I have a, a kind of normal day job. All of this is something I do in my spare time with a positive which is that I don't write about anything that I don't want to dedicate nights and weekends to. Um, so I started literally in response to a kind of open invite for book proposals back in 2012. So I wrote about Nirvana initially. A um, couple of books down the line that had given me a doorway with... Uh, an agent with publishers, and I've kept going from there. So, so far, it's all been things I'm kind of fixated on, at least was as a teenager. So, Nirvana initially, Thurston Moore, and Sonic Youth, and now Swans. So, where I go next, I'm not sure, but um, these are all topics where I've been delighted to both gain a new understanding. Uh, beyond what I'd heard on record, beyond what I'd read already, uh, and also to encounter people I admire and just, yeah, encounter them on a human level, not just as these distant figures way off in uh, kind of superstar and uh, hero land. Mm -hmm. Um, I rather like to humanize the people I I write about. Well, that's quite noble and also quite scary, no doubt, as well. Have you ever been disappointed? Not so far, no. Um, It's it's been a very interesting. I guess I've interviewed over 600 people since 2012, and um, so far it's never really been an issue. There's been two people who uh, shouted at me, but I am strangely both from the same small town in the distant northwest of America, um, and in both cases I, I very much <laughs> suspect alcohol or drugs were involved because they were both <laughs> lovely again within 24 hours. But Disappointed, no. Um, I'm always looking at what I do in terms of can I do it better? Um, Am I letting anyone down here? Am I being honest about the subjects? Um, I don't want to write kind of puff pieces or PR material, but I don't want to write hatchet jobs either. I I kind of hope to go something in the middle, which is hopefully honest and true and reflects what people think and feel. So... um... 
a lot has been written and said about the music of Swans over the years. But I'm wondering if you could give uh, me and the listeners of this podcast your own take on the music of Swans. The best guidance I think I have on Swans is if you don't like the sound of a Swans record, just move up two records and try again. Um, What's remarkable for me about Swans is that the band moves so significantly and so far in terms of the kind of their music and yet it's always the same band um they start with this sort of really aggressive vibe i think it's underrated how much of that sound came from punk the first record is remarkably fast then the next three records become this stereotype of this band that was slow and loud and punishing and then it goes completely different places. I mean, by the time you hit 1990, um, the band's one major label record, which I, I can't help but be fascinated by, is almost a kind of Americana record before Americana was really a thing. Um, where they go from there, I mean, it just numerous places. My personal favorite album is Soundtracks for the Blind in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jira retreats to a studio with the kind of very earliest kind of computer recording technology and a friend of his and a kind of box load of cassettes and dat tapes containing everything from drum loops he made back in 1982 to live recordings of his most recent live band um, to a few studio pieces that he's been given by Jarbo that he's put together himself and he kind of wedges all this material together into this quite two and a half hours of how can i say it just where everything works i I find it the perfect swans record there is so much that goes on so many different sounds and tones and yet it all feels like one dense experience um anyone who came to swans after 2010 is probably used to there being these kind of two cd long sized albums um I think Soundtracks to the Blind is still just its own entity there. And I think Swans are the only band who can carry off that kind of experience uh, without either repeating themselves or uh, essentially boring a listener. Um, It's very rare I could listen to that much music. In the case of Swans, it's, yeah, um, it's an awful when you run out of words to describe what a band's like. Um, <laughs> well, maybe they are just um, beyond description almost. It is a case of just having to listen to them because this book, for me, uh, you know, when it came out, I was pretty excited because I needed this kind of a primer for Swan's music because, quite frankly, I had no idea um, how to get into the music of Swan's. They were a band that I'd known about for years. But, um, you know, I needed some explanations before I went in which is what your book did so that's fantastic real i'm i'm a sucker for that i mean i i refused to listen to the beatles for years because well every band that's come since has a touch of the beatles so i just never bothered to go back mm-hmm. but then i did the kind of in-depth reading and it made me appreciate what they did and why they were innovative and yeah, I mean, on that same basis, I nearly ended up buying a Fleetwood Mac box set on the basis of a really mm-hmm. good review. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I then checked YouTube and realized I would hate Fleetwood Mac. But um, I th- I hope that's where it goes. A good writing should 
illuminate and add to the appreciation of the music. It's not a replacement for the music. It doesn't substitute for it in any way. It should enhance that. It should give someone a kind of feeling uh, and that additional resonance. Uh, I really like that as an ambition to make people want to go back to the music. And so um, with that in mind, then, when did you yourself become a fan of uh, of Swans? Swans were one of those names uh, that had just sort of floated around. I used to head down to London with a kind of £100 in my hand and a little piece of paper listing artist names or album names that if you were into the music I was into, you just had to find them. Um, that could be Glenn Branca, that could be Lydia Lunch, whoever it happened to be. Swans was on that list a long time. This, I'd, I've always really liked it as a name, this idea of this sort of beautiful, kind of quite stylish creature, and also this idea of the animal that, you know, oh, its wing will break your arm. I think that's one of the cliches about swans. But I thought it really fitted. There's this, this violence to it as well. Um, I first found a Swans record, I guess it's 1997, because I had an amazing talent for only getting into bands as they shut up shop and went away. So I'm in a secondhand record shop. I find, I think it was a live record, a semi-official live record from 1987 called Feel Good Now, which is all recorded on kind of portable handheld cassette devices. The sound is... as hissy it's echoey and that was great it was it was just this mysterious vibe it's you'll hear jira talking german to the audience or having an argument with someone at one point he shouts on us you know, i i personally give you my guarantee you can have your money back just go away um and then these songs would come out of this kind of gloom and i found that amazing and i went from there to yet another live record then i found a completely different one which was a 12 inch from 1992 of amnesia and love of life which is you know full of beats it's very glossy it's quite well produced um i still didn't know that was it three records in i still didn't know who this band was and that kept me digging um brilliant i, I love to be surprised i love bands who you don't know everything they have to offer within the first five minutes mm-hmm. so um, why did you feel that a book on swans was required, and why did you decide on an oral history version of that of their story as opposed to just writing up a standard biography? I mean, on that latter question, I mean, some of that could simply be confidence. Um, I've never written a standard biography. Uh, I don't know where to start, and I'm not necessarily um, kind of totally uh, into my own words or interpretation and that's maybe a confidence thing but um when it came to swans i like oral history uh i quite like merging people's voices i like the fact that you can let completely different interpretations stand alongside each other and they're both valid because they're different people's views i think in a biography i would have had to take more of a stand on certain aspects i would have had to put forward my opinion and in the end, I don't know, I think I'm not sure the world needs another opinion, really. So the reason why swans, I mean, fairly obvious, I mean, I, I'm quite stunned that there isn't a book about swans. Usually I had 
that kind of disappointing experience of reading kind of those couple of lines in like a you know Guinness record of hard rock biography or a manual or something, and it would say something like, oh, just this stereotype of, oh, the loudest band in the world, um, really aggressive, really violent lyrics, nihilistic. And it was such a weak description of all the territory and ground this band had covered. Uh, there's never really been a long-form work on Swans. So I felt there was a gap. I felt that given the success of the band's sort of reformation or whatever you want to call it, um, this was one of the biggest rock acts in the world at this point who weren't just functioning on nostalgia. So that fascinated me as well, the difference and the distinctions between what Swans was and what it is. Um, And plus, frankly, if I'm going to spend this much time buried in a band from sort of you know, 8 p.m. my time until 2 in the morning, day after day, uh, then it better be something that I want to live with for that long. And discovering more about music I love gives me a genuine pleasure. Uh, that's where I came from. I think Swans was worth it. I mean, the scope of this project must have been huge because you spoke with more than 125 individuals of, who operated around the band Swans. How did you handle and organize such an immense project? And was there any travel involved? Uh, Minimal travel. I only went as far as London for this one. I think really the music writing is not exactly a high paid territory. There's not much money in this kind of thing. So if I'm going to travel somewhere, then I've got to accept that there's not you know, there's not going to be any profit here. So traveling to America or something like that was just never on the cards. Um, that's a darn sure. But leaving that to one side, uh, I just find it's a it's many skills I learned from work, oddly. So I tend to start with a giant spreadsheet where I list out every name that I can find or locate that I could potentially go to. Then thanks to the joys of the internet and uh, the stalkers directory known as Facebook, you can usually track people down. Um, You just have to be increasingly unashamed about kind of pursuing people, messaging them, following up with them. I just try to be honest and say, look, this is why I'm getting in touch. This is what I want to do. Would you be open to it? Do you have any questions that you want to ask? I just aim to be as positive a intervention or interruption someone's day as possible. And that's rarely served me wrong. Um, With swans specifically, I think it's fair to say that people have had interesting experiences with the band. Uh, There was a gentleman who interviewed for the book and essentially his own memories of being part of the band are so disrupted by the arguments he had with Jira that in the end he just said, look, I'm I'm not comfortable. Can, Can I back out? And I said, yeah, no problem. We, we, Brad just simply handed his transcript to him and we called it a day. Uh, there's a former drummer. The only person I regret not interviewing is a gentleman called Rolly Moziman, who was drummer for a couple of years and did play a significant part in their sound. And uh, he's become a bit of a recluse, apparently, and he just never responded. I just never heard from him. I spoke to his ex-wife. I spoke to a former girlfriend, bands he'd played with. Uh, Norman Westberg attempted to ask him if he'd do it. 
uh, and no one ever heard a word out of him. It just wasn't something that he wanted to do to go back and go back through his time in swans. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Michael Jira because uh, he is Swans is Swans founding member and only real consistent member of the band, and he obviously set that vision for the band. And you obviously spoke with him at great length. Uh, what was his reaction to this project, and what was your impression of him? And there's a great interview from December 2018 where Jiro was asked about the book and he said the book made him want to commit suicide um, <laughs> I loved I loved that because he goes on to say oh yeah but I really like Nick which thank God for that um, he has been a, a gentleman I mean genuinely I can't imagine what it takes out of someone to let a complete stranger walk into your world go back through people who you may not have had the best relationship with and get all their opinions together and then create a book that does not necessarily make you look like a saint. I think that takes a lot of bravery. And from beginning to end, he just accepted that's what was going to happen. He never demanded control over me. He um, would volunteer names or email addresses as he thought of them. Um, Jabo, the same thing. I, I would ask if, I, if she knew how to get hold of a person, she would bring it forward, she would give it to me. So. That was fantastic. Before publication, um, given how much of the book is about both Jira and Jarbo, I let each of them see the manuscript and gave them one chance to raise an objection. And that was scary because there was a point there where if either of them had said, nope, not happy here, I want to back out, I would have had to cut the entire spine out of the book. Instead, they both took it really well. And um, Jira, <laughs> I think, in totally suggested, I think, three amends, which were that I had got the date of the Hungarian uh, Revolution of 1956 wrong, uh, the Prague Spring of 1968, and there was a spelling error. Um, and that was fine. That was it. He, uh, at one point, he added a story in that the tale of his time in jail in Israel clearly wasn't grotesque enough. So he added in a detail about listening to a much younger boy in the jail, an Israeli prisoner, um, being essentially uh, molested by some of the other prisoners. Uh, so he added that in deliberately because things weren't gross enough for him. But he did say that he he read the book through three times in a single night and then when he woke up, his wife told him that he'd been talking to himself and growling and shouting in his sleep. So as he wrote on email, I guess you could say it had an effect then. Ha! Which, which I found quite endearing. Um, that's a fair summary of how Jira has been. Um, he is extremely honest, uh, very lovely to talk to. I mean, a, a real raconteur, someone who can tell a story and also intellectualized in a way I found fascinating. I've never heard someone talk about writing songs or the formation of lyrics in the way that he did. It reminded me of speaking to an artist called Chris Gollan about the composition of a painting, uh, how different themes and images and intellectual trails were all pulled together into a single picture. Jira works the same way. Um, yeah, I, I had nothing but a good experience. And he 
took the fact, I think it's disturbing to him how people thought of him and what their opinions sometimes were of him, but he just let that go. He just let that stand. And I can't imagine a volume of swans that said everything was sunshine and sweetness. But I also noticed that everyone who's been a part of swans is proud of what they did. Um, I just felt sad that um, Jira will always notice the critical words or the things that aren't right. He isn't so, he doesn't necessarily notice the compliments. He can be very English in that respect, that he is quite modest. So when people say, you know, you did something really good there, or this was really wonderful, he doesn't necessarily see it. He just moves straight on to what can I fix? What can I do right? Um, what could I do better? So when he was faced with this book, I think he looked at it and thought about what he could do better. He didn't look at all the words where people said this man is possibly touched by genius. Um, that's sad, but I also think it's why he remains such a force. I mean, can you imagine living with a voice in your head that tells you you're never good enough, that the thing you just did is not good enough? Do it again. Um, incredible. Yeah, well, that's certainly the impression that I got when I read the book, that uh, he was an incredible, well, he still is, obviously, an incredible um, artist, but uncompromising and argumentative. But I think that goes hands in hand sometimes with uh, with people who are tinged with genius. So, Yeah, I, I've always taken issue with this. Um, there's always this cliche of the kind of suffering artist and how you know someone can go through all these bad things and it makes them into a genius i i think in most cases it doesn't i think most people go through bad things and it takes up their time and their energy and their mental power and it tends to create you know vegetables burnouts drug problems alcohol problems and just unpleasant people in jira's case what i find inspiring is someone going through a childhood that i could barely imagine and coming out the other end of it as this highly successful individual who has created something truly unique. Um, I, I think he's one of a kind in that respect. Uh, this is a guy who had to uh, dump his mother through the window of their house because she had fallen asleep with a cigarette and was burning the house down. Um, he got her out the window. Uh, this is a guy who was caught at age 12 with a bag of second all um, and has an abscess in his bicep to this day from injecting... Uh, drugs at age 11, 12. Uh, that's, that's beyond any experience I've ever had. Um, so another member of the, uh, another member of the band who, uh, who you mentioned in your previous answer there, who I believe had an enormous influence on Swans is Jarbo. So would you talk about her involvement in Swans and her uh, effect on the band's sound? Yeah. I mean, Jarbo, a fascinating uh, lady. When I, I went to a gig she did in London a year ago, and maybe it's more, a year, more than a year, but at the end of the show, I waited until all the people wanting things signed, until everyone had kind of cleared away, and I could just approach her and say, oh, by the way, hi, I, I said I was coming, I'm, I'm Nick, the guy doing the book. And she'd obviously given so much to the performance that uh, it was one of those rare things where someone kind of looks through you, and I could kind of almost tell she was looking at a point kind of three meters behind my head, and that was fine. I mean, in a way, I was just so deeply impressed that someone could stand on stage and put all of that into the music. 
And at the end of it, there's this kind of shell left that needs to kind of pull themselves back together and rest. Um, I think she gave everything she had for over a decade to swans. And I'm not sure she's ever recovered from the way it ended. Um, I think that's fair to say. Her influence is very obvious. I don't think swans would be what it is today if she wasn't there alongside Jira in 84 through 86, making him comfortable to take feedback, to expand the band's sound, to you know develop his own guitar playing, to sing properly, to discover that you could place other elements within the music. I think Swans was going down a very specific path, which was pretty cool. But there was an end point. You can only do that um, ever harsher, ever more dark sound for so long before you've exhausted it. And I think he would have been very frustrated, but he was lucky enough to meet someone who could lead them, lead him out to that, to, to a new place. Uh, she'll never feel that he's given her enough credit. I think she was upset that people who were part of the book didn't talk more about what she did for them, whether that was singing them a melody line or coming up with the way an instrument might perform a certain element. Um, I think, in truth, Jira dominates people's memories of it. There was nothing that I didn't ask or that I eliminated from people's memories that would have shown her in a different light. I think Jira dominates people's memories because he was the guy there all the time drilling them. Jabo was a powerful influence, but a mercurial one. She deserves her credit for what that band became, and I think she'll always be waiting for Jira to say, yeah, you know, this was hers as well. I think she was shocked when the band ended and no one had asked her about the direction. It just ended, and she found mm. out. So, as, and as you just pointed out there, so and you pointed out earlier as well, Swans actually did break up in 1997, the year that you actually discovered them, and then they reformed again in 2010. What are the main differences between that previous incarnation and their current version? The first thing is, <laughs> is simply the longevity of the group that has been put together. The original Swans, I mean, there's almost no one who stays in the band longer than a couple of years. Uh, literally, there's Jarbo, there's Norman Westberg. And even Norman Westberg reaches a point where he decides, no, nope, don't like the directions going, I'm gone. Um he was very honest. He just said, look, if you're not getting consistently paid because there's no money, if you're not performing consistently or persistently um, because Swans didn't tour all that much because they were funding themselves and that's it's an expensive business, then you have to find other outlets. So Swans' original run, the music changes so much partly because the people who are part of the band change so much. I take... I think there's sort of this cliches about, again, about the kind of dictator figure who makes the band sound what it is. I don't think that's a fair reflection of what Jira does. I think he's actually very talented at taking a diverse group of individuals, finding out the things they do really well, what elements they can bring, letting them do those pieces and guiding them to an end conclusion. It's synthesizing those pieces. So he does tell you what you're going to do, but you show him what you can do first. And then he says, yes, that's it. That's what I wanted. Um, the new band, there is still a strong element to that. Um, there's a film coming out by 
a Canadian guy called Marco Porsche, and he's created a film about swans called uh, Where Does a Body Begin? And it's an amazing film, I mean, partly because of the topic, but there's a piece in it where Jira's in studio with the current band, and he's saying, okay, play what you played yesterday. I want that. And the guy says, Michael, I don't remember what I played yesterday. No, but that, do that. And they end up shouting at each other back and forth. Then she, the bassist throws his guitar down and you know, fucks off out the door. Um, that's fairly normal. Jira knows what he wants. He can't tell you what it is he wants, but he'll know it when he hears it or you remember it. The current band know what he's like. They are all people who had played with him before um, or had known him quite a long time. They trust him because they know that if he is in charge, things will happen. And the result has been, uh, I think he said to one of the band in 2010 when they were reforming, he said to them, I want to I I tour the entire world. Um, and they did. They, these guys are in their 50s. Jira's, what, I think 64 this year? 65? 64. Um, and they will get to a venue practice for several hours, get on stage, play for over two hours, then get back in the bus, having packed their own gear themselves, drive to the next venue overnight and do the same thing again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's quite punishing. So they obviously have to love and be devoted to what they do. I don't think that's changed. What's changed is that the people he's playing with are there for the long haul. What comes next? I'm curious. Uh, there will be a new album in the next year. And so, um, I mean, currently, uh, due to their intense shows, Swans have become a, a really massive live draw for a lot of people. And have you had the opportunity to see them live? And if so, what was that experience like? Uh, yeah, I've seen them a few times now. Um, I rate most gigs that I go to these days against Swans at Coco in London in 2010. I don't think I'd ever seen a band who had constructed their set in such a sophisticated and intelligent way. Um, Usually a band comes up, song follows song in whatever order. There might be a bit of a flow to it. This was just incredible. I mean, uh, for the band to even come on stage, that was a kind of 15, 20-minute process. First, there's a tape loop or some sort of sound play in then one member comes in starts instrument a few minutes later the next person would come in and two instruments playing together and gradually this thing building and building um then this smash into the first song and a song might be 10 minutes long and it might build in my crest and so on that was fantastic but then the band could do things like at one point they essentially they just stopped just just everything stopped dead and Jira sang just solo a cappella for just a minute and a half, and then they banged into the next song. The kind of practice and direction a band needs to stop that precisely on live is incredible. And to play at the speed they do as well. Uh, normally, if a band plays fast, you can cover up mistakes. If you play slow, you can hear every mistake made. So these guys have had to train and practice to the point that they don't make a mistake. Or if something blows up, they can just get through it. So I found it being a bit like a theatrical production. Uh, Scenes and entrances and exits. And I'd never seen that happen uh, in music before. 
I'd never seen something so thoroughly composed, orchestrated, designed in the kind of rock domain. Um, no distractions, no sort of big lights, no kind of, you know, silly theater scenery. It was all done in music. And I don't know when that ever happens. Uh, I think that's totally unique. I, I think you're right. I mean, even just watching a YouTube live video from recent years, you can feel the intensity. It is, uh, it is something um, incredibly different, I think. Um, but what do you think uh, Swan's legacy will be? Legacy is a funny one for me. Um, I don't get too kind of starry-eyed about music. Music is usually a kind of yeah, unique experience for an individual. So your revelations and mine will be different. Um, I don't really believe that music changes the world. I, I just don't believe that at all. So when it comes to legacy, I usually think it's about influence on specific individuals and that how that sound comes out in, within other bands when it comes to swans i mean there are entire genres of kind of metal basically that rely on swans kind of as a kind of origin point to what they do uh something like earth i think a lot of that is coming from the kind of slow drive that swans does uh Grindcore was another example. I think there was a lot of Swan's influence in what happened there. So I'd be very curious to see if the current iteration of Swan's uh, basically has children. I'd be very curious because they've done something very different in recent, recent years, and I would want to see that. But at the moment, I hear nothing that sounds like Swan's. Uh, I think that's the truth. I'm not sure anything ever did. Uh well, I think you're right. Um, this is why I asked really this question because um, it feels like they don't really fit into any kind of uh, alternative scene as such. They're very much out there by themselves. And you're right. I don't hear a lot of uh, a lot of their influence. Although their recent incarnation, I believe, has has um, acquired uh, a younger fan base, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Swan's refusal to be part of any scene is part of why they survive. Um, if you can be pegged to a certain genre or a certain sound, then you age with that genre of sound. I think music is very generational. You reject the music your older brother or the older year at school are listening to. You end up rediscovering what the generation before that found. I think every generation comes up with its own music. In the case of Swan's, it's always changed so whichever swans you like uh they ain't going to be there for long mm. that's for sure so i think swans were one of the few bands who came back in this past decade who genuinely innovated um i love dinosaur junior uh, their new albums are fine there's nothing particularly new there sebado pixies um i'm not hearing a huge leap Swans is original, and I think that makes a difference that they don't repeat themselves in many ways. Uh, I think this Jira ended the latest iteration after seven years of performance, or six and a half years, and I think it was the right choice because if the band had started to have a certain sound, a certain group of musicians playing together, there comes a point where they have explored what that combination can do. I think it takes some guts to go, okay, instead of getting comfortable and milking this, 
we're going to stop. We're going to mm-hmm. start again from scratch, and we can get it entirely wrong. Uh, I don't hear that very often. Mm. No, hardly ever. I think that's why they managed to get a younger audience is because, they, well, I had criticism. There was some people who said, oh, I would have liked to have heard much more about the original run of Swans or the book should have stopped in 1997. Then there were people who only know Swans from the last decade who said, I wish there was more about the current band. It seems like a, an afterthought in the book. There should be more about the new Swans. And all I could respond to that with was that I think that means I got it about right. <laughs> the people for whom Swans is what it was way back in the 90s and 80s, they want more of that. That's theirs. The people who Swans in 2000s are their band. They want more of that. Um, great. Uh, each generation gets to own its own music. And I met a father and son attending together, which is wonderful. Um, you know, they came to one of the to book signings, and each one had totally different loves when it came to Swans, but it was something they could come to together. Uh, that doesn't happen often. Yeah, well, that's a that's a nice thing that uh, that that it can sort of surf the generations a little bit. But uh, what era of Swans would be your favourite? <laughs> um, well, given I'm 38 now, I think I'm starting to just sort of realise that it's um, I'm a child of the 90s, and nothing ever feels the way it does when you first discover it. So, as I said, Soundtracks of the Blind is still my one of my favourite albums of all time. Um, the recent reissue of it sounded great. I went to a a record listening party in London where we were kind of took over this sort of um, club room part of a pub and on this massive stereo system played Soundtracks of the Blind from beginning to end. And I had flown in from India. I mean, I'd, you know, I hadn't slept. I hadn't had dinner. I still had to get back to Bristol that same night. And all my intentions to be sensible and wise just fell apart. And by the time we'd gone to the second disc of that album, um, you know, I, I one, I, I was smashed. Uh, two, um, I was just sort of dancing around at the back like a lunatic. Um, I really loved to go to a record that I've heard and known for 20 years and hear more that's in there and realize once again what an absolute joy it is so that's my favorite era of swans but there are things i like uh in all eras um it's amazing how good uh power for power from 1983 sounds when you're at the gym um but there's also something beautiful in uh carano singing uh song for a warrior and stuff like that from the more recent time so um, just as a final question, uh, Nick, um, what do you have lined up next in terms of uh, your writing projects? Uh, next thing really is uh, I'm working with uh, indie filmmaker Beth B and Lydia Lunch on the film Companion volume to go with the film they have out together and started 2020. So that should be something different. Lydia is one of my favourite interviewees. Uh, She is incapable of opening her mouth without saying something interesting, scurrilous, and amusing. So uh, I would never wish to be on her bad side, but I I love just listening to her talk. Um, 
always interesting. The last time we spoke, she had a really awful cold, so her voice was croaking a bit. And I, I said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I hope it's not too painful, but hey, it sounds great. And she just said, Nick, honey, you like it because I sound like a sex worker. That's, um, that's a pretty normal answer, and it's definitely not the rudest one she's ever given me either. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And again, I think she's a figure who deserves it. So, Well, Nick, I really want to thank you once again for appearing on the New Books Network. And I wish you all the very best with uh, this book and any future projects. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Rock and roll. Have a good one, Steve.